So we are going to finish chapter 1 of 1 John. Sure? Did I hear somebody say sure? (laughs) So we're going to be on verse 10. So we had just looked at uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We learn that he is faithful to forgive our, to forgive us our sins. Simply put, that God can be relied upon to do as he says, uh, and be, uh, be relied upon to be as he is. And he is a forgiving God. He's a long-suffering God. He's a merciful God. We also learn that he is just to forgive us our sins because of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. In what Jesus Christ had accomplished on the cross, God is justified in forgiving our sins because all of our sins uh, fell upon Jesus. And so because of Christ uh, taking our place on the cross, God is definitely justified in forgiving us of our sins. And I believe this is why John does not include repentance in 1 John 1, 9. You don't read, if we confess and repent of our sins, he is faithful and just. He just says, if we confess our sins, uh, because it's, it's all covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned last week, uh, when I was talking about repentance and penance and doing good works to earn God's favor, um, I believe if, if, if John were to put repentance in there, somebody would come along and make a list of things that you would have to meet in order to meet their requirement of repentance in order for God to forgive you. And again, making it all a work of man uh, rather than uh, a grace of God. Because our Our relationship with God is grace-based, not works-based. It's grace-based. And even Bible believers struggle with that sometimes. Even Bible believers struggle with that sometimes. Uh, They get in their mind that it's a works-based relationship. No, it's a grace-based relationship. It's all about God's grace. It's all about God's grace. And if you remember, Psalms 103.12 says that he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever wondered why he didn't say from the north to the south? Because if you go north and you keep going south, guess where you end up again? Right back. But if you go west, you'll never end up going east. And if you go east, you never go west. So that's how far God separates our sin from us. So that's pretty cool. So what we're going to look at today is um, the perfectionist. The perfectionist. And that's what we have here in 1 John 1.10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Uh, God is faithful and just to forgive us. He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all our sins. But yet there are still those who um, resist this truth or maybe ignorant of this truth or maybe they don't understand God's grace about this truth. But they choose to, um, again, remain in this darkness of theirs in regards to their personal sin. And that's kind of what we've been going through here with verses 6 through 10. Uh, so John is bringing up yet another possible error that people have in regards to their personal sin and in regards to how it impacts their fellowship with God. So on your study guide... Uh, in, instead of confessing 
our personal sin, and we're confessing, even when God's word has clearly revealed it to us to be sin, and we still persist, is your word, on page 5, I believe, is your work, on your work study guide, in saying that we have not, had not sinned, then what? Okay, so confessing and persist. Well, on your next blank, John informs us that anyone who makes this claim has essentially called God a liar. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's pretty strong stuff there, calling God a liar. Yet there are those who will deny uh, the testimony of the Bible concerning their sin. They, They still claim, there are those who actually claim a sinless perfection about themselves. There are those that actually claim a sinless perfection about, about themselves. And when they do that, that's not, a, that's not uh, in compliance to God's word, is it? So essentially, when somebody makes such a claim like that, what they are saying is, well, the word of God is not true in my case. Well, that, you're calling God a liar. You're calling God a liar. Um, now, this concept of Christian perfectionism, uh, has been introduced into the true church by various men and even women, and it can be traced all the way back to a fellow by the name of Clement of Alexandria, another fellow by the name of Origen, and another fellow by the name of Marcarius of Egypt. Now, if you are a Bible student, right, then red flags should be flying, and why is that? Exactly. Alexandria, Egypt, Egypt. Uh, The origin of each of these men, they've been schooled in Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt is where all of the heresy that we are dealing with today comes from. Because what they did was, is they mixed man's philosophy with Jewish and Christian belief and came up with this Christian philosophy, if you will, that has infected the church from then on. From then on. And it's just this mingling of man's philosophy and and the Bible. And to me, it's amazing that uh, many well-known preachers on the radio and booksellers Whenever they speak of someone like Origen, it's like he's some grand poobah of doctrine. Don't you believe it? We've got a lot of trouble because of people like him. It says here in 1 John 1.10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's what it says. It's pretty clear. Uh, Romans 3.4 says, God forbid, yet let God be true, but every man a liar. So who really is lying? It's not God that's a lying. It's man that's lying. It's man that's a liar. So on your study guide, contrary to God's word about the God who is light and whom is no darkness and that God cannot lie, according to Titus 1-2, when a believer does this and that denying that he has sin or he is, you know, in his life, they have denied what God's word has revealed, is your word, to them about them. Revealed, And in doing so, has essentially said that God's word is wrong in their particular case. It's wrong. It may apply to you, but it doesn't apply to me. 
I don't know how many times I've heard that. So let's review a little bit of what we have looked at so far so we can kind of understand where this is going here in verse 10. So on your study guide, John tells us even when we are in fellowship with God, walking in agreement to his word, we still require the cleansing of Christ's blood for sin is ever present with us. So we still require the cleansing of Christ's blood. Now, do you think in this life we are ever free from the need of Christ's cleansing? No, the answer, of course, is no. And why is that? Because we're all a bunch of rotten sinners. <laughs> and I don't mean to be harsh like that, but we all sin. We all sin. So we need the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, is anybody in here above being tempted? No. No, none of us are are above being tempted. And we're all tempted in one degree or another. You know, now some of the prideful folks, they might say, you know, well, I'm never tempted. Well, that's, I don't think that's honest. I don't think they're being honest. And honestly, guys, I, this is truth. I have personally met individuals who have this opinion about themselves and that they do not sin. They honestly believe that they do not sin. And when a sin has been pointed out, when they've been caught in a sin, they actually have a biblical justification for their sin. So in their mind, it negates that sin. But I have. I have met individuals that are like that. So on your study guide, if we decide to deny this truth about ourselves, then we are self-deceived. And we are contrary to the light that God is and God and what God has revealed to us. Alright? We're self-deceived. Again on your study guide, if we do confess whatever sins the light has revealed about us, we are assured of God's forgiveness of that sin and cleansing from all unrighteousness. So self-deceived and assured is your two words. So again, on your study guide, but if we still deny what God's word has revealed to us, whether you seek to, 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 to justify your sin or, dis, or dismiss your sin, we make God a liar. And with this attitude of denial, his word ceases to be, this is the blank, actively effective in our hearts and minds. Washing and perfecting us. That process of renewing our minds. If you're not honest enough to face up to the flaws of your life, you're, I, I believe that's when God's word stops working in your life. That's when we call God a liar. You know, it's, There are folks who have the attitude, you know, his word may be true about you, but it's not true of me kind of attitude. I've run into people like that. That was the attitude of the Pharisees in Jesus' day, right? John 8, 33-36 says, They answered him, We be of Abraham's seed, 
and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You see, these men were so prideful. What were they prideful of? Well, they were prideful of their heritage. Hey, we're of Abraham's seed. We're a shoe-in to the kingdom of heaven. No. No. Uh, they were prideful about their, their own self-righteousness. They kept all of their little rules. Well, it's not keeping of rules that's going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. So they were indeed bound by sin, even though they rejected or denied it. I knew a pastor who had fallen into sin. He was stealing from the church. He was participating in adulterous affairs with married women in the church. Yet when he was caught and confronted, he gave for his defense that he was owed the money for all that he did for the church. That's why he took it. And that these other women were a part of his reward, like concubines in the Old Testament. That's how twisted people can get. That's how twisted people can can be. You know, you get folks get confronted by their sin and they make themselves the exception to the rule. And when you make yourself the exception to the rule, effectually, what are you doing? Well, you're saying God is a liar. God is a liar. It doesn't apply to me. Now, of course, that's an, that's an extreme example, but, you know, there's, there's this mindset that some people have about their sin. And um, my sin's not as bad as some other sin. Or it applies to them, but it doesn't apply to me. We've got to be careful about that kind of thinking. So on your study guide, uh, there are those who teach that since the believer is forgiven of his sins, then he has no need to ever confess his sin, even after he has committed sins. There are, th- there are those who teach that. That is a extreme application of grace. Remember what I said, balance. We need to seek balance. And again, in one part this is true, but in another part it's not true. That's resting the scriptures. That's, that's, you know, that's uh, applying, uh, defining grace in a way that God never intended to be defined. And the Gnostics are really good about things like this. It's, 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 it's true on the one part that we have been forgiven of our sins. We are. Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 4, 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Are you, are you catching on here? Yeah, we are forgiven. So on your study guide, in Jesus Christ, we do have full forgiveness from the penalty of sin. Full forgiveness. 
Again, on your study guide, by the atonement we have in Jesus Christ, we are fully accepted in the beloved as being forgiven by God. This is indeed our status, our position before a just and holy God. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. We're going to look at that a little closer when we look at Jesus Christ as our advocate and our propitiation. It's by this knowledge of his love for us that we have peace concerning judgment. See, we're not, we're not to be fearful of the great white throne judgment. That's not our judgment. We're not going to be there. Well, I don't know. In other words, we're not going to be there being judged of God there. See, our judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. Well, we will receive reward for our service. But the great white throne judgment, we, we're not going to have any part of that. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. But on your, on your study guide, yet, this is your blank, yet in our relationship with the Father, in order to maintain fellowship, confession and forgiveness is a requirement. You know, to remain or restore or maintain fellowship with Him, uh, we need to confess. We need to confess. Now, there are some who teach sinless perfection is possible for a believer to accomplish in this life. There are some who teach that. Uh, in his book, Perfectionism, uh, Benjamin Warfield summarizes uh, this belief. Now, he doesn't believe in perfectionism. and He preached again. That's why he wrote the book. He was showing the error of it. But this is what he said. He said, um, this is what the perfectionists believe. They believe complete sanctification can be attained by a special act of faith directed toward this end. This act of faith brings about immediate attainment to entire sanctification. Justification is already enjoyed by faith, but those who are simply justified are a lower kind of Christian. The higher kind of Christian is the one who has by faith attained this complete sanctification. All right, right there, folks, you see the characteristic, one of the characteristics of a Gnostic. Remember what I told told you about the Gnostics, how they place themselves above everybody else, claiming to have some special something or other that makes them better? Well, there you have it right there. There that's where I'm headed. That's exactly where I'm headed. Yeah. So that makes them a little bit better than the run-of-a-mill Christian. Those who have experienced this complete or entire sanctification. One of the articles of, the, of faith of the Church of the Nazarene says this very thing. According to them, it says, We believe that entire sanctification is that act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin or depravity and brought into a state of entire devotement to God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. This mindset is no different than your Pentecostalists. 
other words by alright other words like regeneration is when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ become born again well they believe that there's another there's another there's another act of faith that you can be completely sinless and live completely sinless yeah so they call that complete sanctification entire sanctification so, so basically I grew up so, it, so basically, you get saved, and it's sanctification where you fully commit your life to God, and you're set apart, and yep. so you go to an altar and you pray and say, "I want to be sanctified," and that's yep. that's it. Yep. No discipleship. There's nothing. Yep. Do you have to change your behavior at that point? If you're, it, well, let me let me continue on. I'll cover all of that. <laughs> yeah. Let me continue on. I'm going to cover all of that. So again, the same mindset of the Pentecostalists, and they're, you know, they're always saying, you know, you need to be baptized in the Spirit and speak in tongues, or you're not really a fully developed Christian because you're lacking this work of God or whatever, whatever they want to call it. You're lacking something. You're lack if you if you're not if you're not speaking in tongues uh, because I did speak in tongues. You know, I'm a better Christian. I'm elevated. I'm a higher. I'm closer to God. That's that's generally the the idea behind it. So let me go through some of this, and hopefully I'll answer some of these questions. Uh, the Wesleyans, we all know who John Wesley is, right? The founder of Methodism. The Wesleyans, Wesleyans teach that a person who has been saved and born again can achieve sinless perfection in this lifetime. They believe in something called entire sanctification. They teach about a purity of intention, a complete and utter dedication and surrender to God, dedicating one's whole heart, mind, body, and soul, and substance to God. And so by circumcising one's heart from the world, the flesh and the devil, they, can, they, they, they obtain this complete sanctification to God. Listen again. By circumcising one's heart from the world. What is that? That's a work. That's a work. Who who circumcises my heart? Come on. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. God is the one who circumcises my heart. Not me. Not me. It's a work of God. So they're taking a work of God and they're claiming it for themselves. It's what they're doing. It's what they're doing. That's what's behind this. The demand, the the expectation is nothing short of complete obedience to the will of God. Complete, unerring obedience to the will of God. Now raise your hand if you've done that. Or raise your hand if you think you can do that. Raise your hand if you've done it even today, this morning. Okay. Another fellow, a name, uh, a fellow by the name of John William Fletcher. He's an early, early Methodist divine who John Wesley uh, wanted him to lead the Methodist Church after John uh, died. This is the way he stated. Uh, this is what he said. He says the doctrine. He says that the the doctrine of an evangelically sinless perfection is truly scriptural. No, it's not. It's not. Um, It's not scriptural. In fact, it's contrary to scripture. 
It's contrary to Scripture. I have personally met individuals when I worked at TWA as a young believer who truly believed that they, they had reached this level of sinless perfection. And a lot of them referred to this as a second blessing. They had experienced the second blessing, and this, this second blessing, the first blessing was being baptized, or being, um, well, I'll get into that. They've got three separate blessings. Okay, and this is the second blessing. But yet these same guys who claim to be sinless, when break was over, everybody else went back to work, where were they at? They were still on break. Some of these guys stayed on break good 15, 20 minutes. Now, I don't know. Are we, are, are we not stealing from the company by not getting off of your break and going back to work, being paid for your work? Because when I, when I worked, we weren't paid for our breaks. We weren't paid for our breaks. I don't know. It's just something to think about. The Holiness Pentecostal denomination, also known as a Wesleyan Pentecostal or Methodist Pentecostal, uh, it, it, the, these denominations, they believe in, in perfect uh, sanctification as some second act of grace uh, bestowed upon those who have reached a level of devotedness. You have to reach a level of devotedness. What is that? What is that? That's a work. That's a work. Um, you've got the Holiness Pentecostals, and you've got Methodist Pentecostals. You've got the Apostolic Faith Church, the Congregational Holiness Church, the Free Evangelical Church, the International Church, Pentecostal Holiness Church, and the Church of God. They all fit in this. They all fit in this. Uh, for holiness Pentecostals, full sanctification is a second act of grace in a series of three distinct blessings that a Christian may experience. And I'll say this, with this kind of teaching, experience always trumps truth. Okay? Experience always trumps truth. Always. The first act of grace is conversion or regeneration. The third act of grace is baptism with the Holy Spirit, marked by speaking in tongues. But you have to have the second act of grace in complete sanctification first. Okay? Now, some of the Pentecostals that I know, they somehow skip this second and jump right to the third. But one of their own theologians, this is what he says... He says, the Holy Spirit cannot fill an unclean vessel. And so before being baptized with the Holy Spirit, one must be fully sanctified. A cleansing of the mind is necessary, which is done in complete sanctification, because the Holy Spirit cannot dwell within an unclean vessel. Well, if that's true, folks, we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. That's the whole reason why there was that spiritual circumcision take place. Is so that the Holy Spirit of God could dwell in this vessel. This is also the reason why many Pentecostals and many of your holiness preachers and teachers and believers, they also believe you can lose your salvation. 
We also believe you can lose your salvation. Because when you sin, then what happens with the Holy Spirit? If he can't stay in a vessel, an unclean vessel, where does the Holy Spirit go then? He leaves. He departs. And when the, when the Holy Spirit departs, then you've lost your salvation. So you've got to go and go through this whole thing again. I think that's crucifying Christ afresh. So you have to do this all again. And the proof verse that they use is Psalms 51.11. It says, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Dispensationally, the psalmist still lived under the law. Jesus Christ had yet died and atoned for the sins of mankind. So dispensationally, yeah. Under the law, the Holy Spirit would leave a man, such as David or, or whatever. But what is it, but under the New Testament dispensation, what does it say to us, who are believers, who are born again, what does it say to us as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned? We are sealed. Right? Ephesians 1, 13-14, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of His glory. See, the Holy Spirit of God, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And that redemption is when we are raptured out of here or resurrected. So that's, we are sealed. In the churches like this, say you get saved on Sunday and Friday you die in a car accident, but you didn't have time to get to those second and third blessings. In their teaching? Right, in their teaching. In their teaching, then they would they would probably question where that individual ended up. But if that individual truly received Jesus Christ, yes, that's a different, that's a di- but in according to their teaching, there may be some question. Yeah. But if that person genuinely received Christ as their Savior, then we know where they're at. Uh, the Quaker religion also holds this view. George Fox, a prominent preacher, uh, teaches Christian perfection, also known as perfectionism. Uh, Friends, the Friends, I think, is a Quaker, a Quaker branch. Uh, they believe that a Christian can be totally free from sin for the rest of their life. Never, ever sin ever again. They believe that. Uh, George Fox emphasized individual responsibility for faith and freedom from sin. Uh, so individual responsibility, what is that? That's a work. Well, what about the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ? Where does that fit in? It don't. Is it even proper English? It doesn't. Right? It doesn't. Um, he preaches that perfectionism and absolute freedom from sin is possible in this world. That's what he, that's what he teaches. But in each case, in every denomination, I don't care which denomination is, they, every one of them says the same thing. They may word it differently, but they say the same thing. In order to attain this blessing, they must do it by their obedience and adherence to this particular belief system. What is that? That's works. That's what that is. That's works. It's not grace. It's not grace. It's a works-based religion based upon the efforts of men. 
This ignores so many passages in the scriptures. This twists so many passages in the scriptures. It's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. I mean, what do they do with a, with a passage like Romans 7:24? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now who wrote that? Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Now if Paul wrestled with this issue, you know, who are you, George Fox? Now, this is not on your study guide. Um... But I'm going to give you seven biblical teachings against sinless perfection. So I, you've probably got a blank page or something. So seven biblical teachings against sin, sinless perfection. One, Jesus taught confession of sin. Jesus taught confession of sin. Uh, scripture verses, Matthew 6, 9 through 12. Luke chapter 11, 2 through 4. Well, you know what those passages are? Those passages are what's called the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. And as Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, it says, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What is that? That's confession. In loose gospel, he says, Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. That's confession, folks. Jesus taught his disciples to confess their sins. Now, my question is, if a, de- if a disciple of Jesus Christ can obtain sinless perfection, then why would Jesus teach about confession of sin? Unless it was necessary. Unless it was required. Unless it was needful. Jesus was a very practical teacher, was he not? Yeah, very practical teacher. So, um, yeah. You see, Jesus knew that no matter how devoted his disciple may become, there was always that potential of that disciple to sin. And that's, it's true with us. It's true with us. I don't care how devoted you might be, there's always that potential. There's always that potential. And as far as this forgiveness is concerned, <laughs> let me tell you. If you're involved in ministry at any level, and you have to deal with people, oh, you better learn to forgive. Because if you don't learn to forgive people, you're going to burn out. You have got to learn to forgive. Because sometimes you guys are pretty difficult. <laughs> Well, I am too. I am too. So, you can infer that daily confession is a part of our walk. is a part of our relationship. Jesus taught it. Uh, number two. Uh, we see it right here in 1 John 1.10. Claim, to claim sinless perfection, you're making God a liar. To claim sinless perfection, you're making God a liar. It goes contrary to God's word. To claim sinless perfection is making God a liar. John goes on here and he says in 1 John 2, 1, he says, My little children, these things write on unto you that ye sin not. Okay? 
And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, the ideal is that ye sin not. But the reality is, and if any man sins. Right? That's The ideal is don't sin. Don't get in the habit of sinning. But the reality is, in case you do, Jesus Christ the advocate, our propitiation. Alright, so, yeah, so to claim that you're sinlessly perfect is to deny what the Word of God teaches. It's, it's to make God a liar. The psalmist understood this, Psalms 19.12. He says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Secret faults, folks. Man, there's stuff that lurks in your heart. That can be pretty shocking. It can be pretty shocking. We don't know what's way down there. Pretty shocking. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity, if I'm thinking about it, if I'm considering it, if I'm mulling it over in my mind. I mean, who hasn't had uncharitable thoughts? Who hasn't had impure thoughts? Who hasn't had thoughts that, man, I hope nobody finds out about that. Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need to be honest with ourselves. We all have the potential. We all have the potential. And to deny what the Bible so clearly teaches about us, that's egregious. That is, that's egregious. I'll just let that go. Number three. I had a lot to say on that, but I'm not going to. Uh, Number three. None of us are perfect. I know that may be a shock to your system. But none of us are perfect. We're all, I had a friend of mine always said, we're all damaged goods. We're all damaged goods. Uh, this is taught both in the Old and the New Testament, Romans 3, 10 through 11. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Ecclesiastes 7.20, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. I think it's Job. Somewhere in Job says, Can can an unclean thing be brought out of a clean or something like that? Speaking about man. And this is universal truth that pertains to all men, both redeemed and lost. None of us are perfect. None of us. Number four, Even those who walk closest with God, even those who walk closest with God will recognize this about themselves. Those who walk closest to God will recognize this about themselves. Now, in my opinion, one of the greatest, if not the greatest Christians, who, Christian who ever lived was the Apostle Paul. Right? If you want to, besides Jesus Christ, if you want to pattern your life after a man, you can't go wrong with the Apostle Paul. If there's anyone that could make such a claim that they lived a perfectly sinless life, it, you know, Paul may qualify for that. But what is Paul's own testimony about himself? 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am chief. That's the Apostle Paul, of whom I am chief. So he didn't have any delusions about himself, right? In another place, Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 13-14, Brother, and I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul isn't like some of my prideful brethren who believe they have arrived. Paul knew he hadn't. That's why he pressed toward the... Paul pressed toward the mark his entire life. Up until the time he was martyred. Number five. um, This false teaching refutes what the Bible teaches. This false teaching refutes what the Bible teaches. That's making God a liar. Romans chapter 7. We all are familiar with Romans chapter 7. Romans seven fourteen through 18. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Notice what he says there, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Now that's the Apostle Paul. This is an honest testimony of a born-again believer who knows of the internal struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And honestly, don't we all know that struggle? Don't we all know that struggle? Yeah. Yeah, as the day approaches, how much more so? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many things out there that are constantly pulling on us to try to pull us away from God. Galatians 5, 16-17, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, folks, right there, if there is such a thing as sinless perfection, then why is he saying, exhorting us to walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh? That, that's contrary to Scripture. You're making God a liar. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Who in here doesn't know that struggle? You know? That is a reality of our walk with the Lord. It is. That is a reality. This is a battle that is waged in the life of any, uh, any believer who desires to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It just is. Now this might sound strange, and then again it may not sound strange. But when someone was sharing the gospel with me, uh, well, he told me, go read the book of Revelation. So the very first book I ever read in the Bible, as a lost man, was the book of Revelations. So I came back to work. It was a weekend. I came back to work that Monday because I knew I was in trouble. I was really... So I knew I was in trouble. So I said, okay, what do I need to do? I had no question. I had no question in my mind that I was a sinner and I knew exactly where I was headed. So he shared with me the gospel. He told me about Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
So I received Christ as my Savior. The Spirit of God indwelt me, sealed me. And you know what? Even though prior to my salvation I knew I was a sinner, (laughs) I know this is going to sound weird, after my salvation and I started reading the Bible and the Spirit started opening things, I realized how much of a sinner I really am. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because when that light opens up the heart, it's more than smoking and drinking and cursing. That's all superficial stuff compared to the stuff that's going on inside. So sinless perfection? Hmm. Only a dishonest person would deny this about themselves. Only a dishonest person would deny this about themselves, claiming this sinless perfection. Number six. It denies the work of sanctification. It denies the work of sanctification wrought by God. Let's use an old KJV word. Wrought by God. W-R-O-G-H-T. It denies the work of sanctification wrought by God in the life of the believer. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until you reach entire sanctification. That's not what it says. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until you receive the second blessing. That's not what it says. It says until the day of Jesus Christ. When you get raptured or resurrected. Second Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You grow. You ever stop growing? No, you grow. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The language there is a progressive act. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. These are just a few of the plethora, I'm going to use a fancy word, a plethora of passages that speak to this very same thing. Folks, we will not arrive until he comes to take us home. All right? Until he comes and takes us home. And then finally, number seven. Come on, Jeff, you got to get done. It denies the work of Jesus Christ to save to the uttermost. It denies the work of Jesus Christ to save to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able to say also to save them to the uttermost. That come unto God by him, seeing if ever liveth to make intercession for them. You see, like I said before, the majority of your sinless perfectionists also believe that you can lose your salvation. Again, that's contrary to what the scripture just said. They somehow reason that while they are saved by grace, they somehow keep it by works. This this work of fullness of sanctification. And those who hold to such a belief refuse to repent of their sin because they believe they themselves do not sin. Because of this work. What exactly is to the uttermost? What is that? I mean all the way. 
a person, not a per- yeah, all the way. It's a, it's a full salvation. Yeah, it's all the way, uttermost. Yeah, from the east to the west, <laughs> uttermost. Uh, other words, we lack nothing. He did it all. <laughs> so, I, as I was researching this, I read a story of, a, of an elder woman who stood up during a testimonial time in church. And she praised God that she had lived a sinless life for umpteen many years. And at the time, this particular church where this took place, uh, there was a visiting preacher who was aware of this doctrine, who was against this doctrine. And so what he wanted to do is he was wanting to demonstrate the danger of this kind of thinking. So after this woman gave this glowing testimony about herself, uh, this visiting uh, preacher, he, he complimented her on such a feat. And then he asked her a question. He, he said, um, or he said to her, he said, you must be quite proud of such an accomplishment as this, living all those years without sin. Well, this particular individual, this woman was one who liked to be singled out for attention in the congregation. Uh, well, uh, she stands up and she says, um, yes. I am indeed quite proud of my sinless life. (laughs) And it was at that moment that the pastor crashed his hand down on the pulpit and raised his voice, Pride is a sin. Sit down and learn what 1 John 6 through 10 is telling you. Or 1 John 1, 6 through 10 is telling you. Pride is a sin. Those few individuals that I have met and spoke with that hold this view to a person... They are prideful. To a person, they are prideful. To a person. And those few individuals that believe this way, you know, whenever whenever we would meet in these little groups for Bible study during lunch or whatever, they always made everybody else feel like they were second rate. You never quite measured up to them, to their standard. And uh, I remember one time, you know, this kind of shook me up. I was a brand new believer. It kind of shook me up a little bit. So I went to a good friend of mine there at, at the job site, and I asked him about all this. He said, well, he says, he says, I'll tell you what, Brother Jeff. He says, you read uh, Colossians chapter 2, 8 through 15, and then we'll talk about it. So I did. So I read uh, Colossians two eighteen, and that's where it says you are complete in Christ. Okay. It also says in verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary, took us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know what that says? It is Jesus Christ's sinless perfection that I trust in. Not mine. It's his sinless perfection that I trust in. It is his sinless perfection that saved me. And it's his sinless perfection that keeps me. Confession is for the restoration and the maintain, and maintaining of our fellowship with the Father. Because we all will sin. But praise God for Jesus Christ's sinless perfection. That's what it says here. Jesus Christ, um, uh, our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we're going to talk about that. 
We're going to talk about that. Confession is for the restoration and the maintaining of our fellowship. How often have we seen in earthly family relationships where the son or daughter refuses to apologize to the mom and dad or the mom and dad refuses to apologize to the son or daughter or the husband refuses to apologize to the wife or the wife refuses to apologize when in that family people refuse to apologize for causing the disruption in the relationships in that family because nobody wants to humble themselves and say hey I'm sorry what happens in that relationship it's strained it's not like it should be right it's not like it should be because because we're too proud. We're too proud to apologize. We're too proud to ask for forgiveness. We're too proud to forgive. Our relationship with the Father, you better be jealous of that relationship. You better be jealous for that relationship. And when you mess up, be quick to say you're sorry. Be quick to say you're sorry. Not so much for his sake, but for your sake. For your sake. Keep that relationship clean and fresh and open. Jesus, again, when his disciples ask him, teach us to pray. He says, give us this daily bread and forgive us our debts as we give our debtors. So on your study guide. Forgiveness of sins is as urgent and a necessary daily spiritual need as daily bread is a need for the physical body. To teach otherwise is to teach contrary to the light of God's word. You have to eat every day. Right? Now again, don't 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 go falling into this maudlin, you know. Oh, I'm such a sinner. Oh, I'm, I don't ever do anything. Don't. That's not what it's all about. That's not what it's all about. What's being taught here is we can have fellowship with the Father, and Father is willing to forgive us when we mess up. And yes, we're going to mess up. That's what it's all about. We have an open door policy with the Lord. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. So on your study guide, for the lost, the question is, what must I do to be saved? For the believer in Jesus Christ, the question to be answered by them is, what must I do to remain in fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ? It's simple. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk in agreement with the, with the Father. And when you happen to fall out of agreement, recognize it, admit it, and get back in step. Get back in step. He's willing and, and ready to keep that fellowship going. He's willing and ready to keep that fellowship going. So that's the blessed proof, provision, and position of our fellowship with God. I know it took a long time to get through chapter 1. Uh, but um, I felt it was uh, necessary to go into uh, detail in regards to this, what's going on here, because sometimes you read through this stuff and you just kind of like a stone going across the surface of a pond. You just kind of blip, 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 and you don't take the time to let the stone sink a little deeper. 
And sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you need to do that. So we're going to start chapter 2, and we'll spend six years on that. (laughs) 